This is Inputs, the podcast by Top Crop Manager, Canada's national source for the latest agronomic research, crop production, and technology trends. You've tuned in to hear conversations about relevant research, best production practices, and everything in between. Spring into pre-emergent weed control action for canola and pulse crops with Edge Microactive. Powerful Group 3 action takes out the broadest assortment of grass and broadleaf weeds, including kochia, wild buckwheat, and barnyard grass, before they can take over your crop. Use Edge Microactive as a part of your herbicide layering program to help maximize yields today and manage resistance tomorrow. Go to ca.gowanco.com for details. Always read and follow label directions from Gowan Company. Hi, my name is Alex Bernard, editor for Top Crop Manager East, and I'm speaking today with Ben Rosser, corn crop specialist with the Ontario Ministry of Agriculture, Food, and Rural Affairs, or OMAFRA. Welcome. Thanks for joining me. No problem. Good to be here, Alex. So let's start with what were the highs and lows of the 2022 corn season in Ontario? Yeah, I'll start with, I guess, for some was the lows. I think, you know, the big story in 2022 in Ontario was the moisture stress in a lot of areas. So like most dry years, it was kind of regional, depending where you were, but certainly there was growers that had fairly disappointing yields in some of those hardest hit areas. A lot of other growers that maybe yields were a little bit lower than normal and, you know, in areas that managed to get the rains, yields that were good. But I think that was kind of probably the number one story for 2022. I guess for the highs, it'd be kind of the silver lining of a dry year would be, you know, a lot less disease pressure than what we maybe would normally expect. So for sure, you know, Ontario, one of our biggest risk factors is gibberella ear rot for dawn levels. We do a survey every year, and it was one of the lowest levels we've ever had in our survey. 98% of our samples were less than 2 ppm, so that's a good story. And then I think the other one, kind of an emerging issue, which I'll probably touch on in some later topics in this as well, is tar spot. You know, it's kind of started to spread across Ontario, but again, not to say it wasn't existent in 2022, but it maybe didn't spread or, or show up like we were worried it maybe would have given the dry conditions. How have this winter's conditions been and what effect could you anticipate them having on planting? Yes, yeah, so it's always a little tough to call, you know, at this point. Certainly, you know, talking to a lot of growers, we were dry in the fall and a lot of them have said, you know, for those who have been in the ground or that sort of thing, you know, things are still quite dry compared to normally where we'd be, you know, saturated this time of year in Ontario. You know, also a lot of people are mentioning, you know, there's not much ice cover on the lakes, so maybe things will warm up a bit quicker. So, I mean, those are maybe favorable for an earlier, warmer, quick up kind of start. But the weather between now and spring is really going to dictate things. So we end up getting a lot of rainfall and wet conditions. You know, it still could push things back. I think it's too early to say. But yeah, certainly those are things that would maybe favor or things you could look at in terms of where things would go. But still at this point, it'd be kind of early to make any calls yet. Understood. So this also might be a bit of a too early to call question. But based on what we know right now, what do you expect for the 2023 growing season? Yeah, still just too early. You know, a lot of things depend on when they get in and what the weather conditions are during the growing season. So at this point, one thing I've learned in my years on life is I'm not good at making crystal ball predictions. So I will stick to that and not make any predictions at this point. Sounds good. Is there anything new and exciting for better or worse in corn production? So I think some things that are top of mind that, you know, if I'm talking to growers and they're asking about, Certainly things that they should understand or be aware of is I think the number one I already mentioned was tire spot. So uh, disease that's not native to North America, but I think it showed up in Indiana in 2015 has been slowly spreading. We knew it was a matter of time before it came to Ontario. So it's been here for a couple of years now. 
So I think that's just one thing to watch for. There's lots of resources out there if you, know, if you Google it or, or look at our food crop news website, that sort of thing. And then I think the other one, again, just kind of an emerging issue or something to be aware of too, there's been a fair bit of chatter on as well, is resistance rootworm. So uh, rootworm that's now resistant to traits that we previously would have used to control corn rootworm. So again, there's been pockets in the province, very heavy corn on corn rotations, where that started to pop up. Again, from an awareness thing, I think just something that growers should know is out there if they are scouting their fields and keep an eye out, especially if they're in that kind of risky scenario. So what factors should be top of mind for growers when they're selecting a corn variety or hybrid? Yeah, so you know, for growers asking that, I'd usually point them to gocorn.net. That's where we have our Ontario Corn Committee trials or OCC performance trials. And, you know, all the basic stuff I think most growers are looking for is there. Yield levels, moisture, lodging risks, that sort of thing. Um, I think that would cover the big decision makings on a lot of farms. We're trying to work in the OCC at evaluating dawn levels for hybrids too, um, especially since 2018. It's something that people have always asked for. You know, it'd be nice to have some kind of rating of is this hybrid high risk, medium risk, low risk. It's been tough to do because it depends so much on environment. It's not as simple as just putting all the hybrids out and misting them and inoculating them. So there's been some refinement over the years to get results. I think the committee is more confident in, but I think we're kind of getting to that point now with all the work that Dave Hooker has done at Ridgetown College. Dave's really championed those trials. He runs the trials and has put a pile of work into them. So I think we're at kind of at a level now where there's a lot more confidence in that data that we're actually representing those kind of ratings. Beyond that, we don't do many other ratings in those hybrids, but, you know, if you've got concerns about certain diseases or that sort of thing, you know, working closely with seed companies that would maybe provide you some more local knowledge on some of those hybrids that aren't provided in those OCC trials would be good too. In terms of like a five to 10 year outlook, what longer term considerations should growers keep in mind? Yeah, so I think the one, again, it's becoming a common theme here is tire spot. I think, again, just kind of understanding the disease, what to look for, how to manage it. From some initial work that's been done, you know, like all diseases, there's differences in susceptibility for hybrids. So there's no resistance for it. And especially being a disease that really hasn't been in North America very long, and there hasn't been a lot of breeding efforts towards that as well. I think there's companies working on that now, especially trying to pull in, I think, genetics or traits from like Central America where this disease is native to. But yeah, just understanding how to manage that. There are options out there to try to, to reduce the risks of it, but that's certainly that's one thing if I was a corn grower. If I hadn't heard of that or don't know much about it, I would try to do a bit of uh, learning on. I think the other one is, you know, there's been a lot of scrutiny over uh, nitrogen, so trying to reduce nitrogen emissions. Something I'd like to see or would like to work actively, and, and we're doing some of this in some of the soil and crop counties, is maybe trying to get a better handle for, you know, optimum nitrogen rates on farm. So doing some on-farm trials, whether it's a rate or two around what you're normally putting out to see, you know, do I need higher rates or can I back rates off the yield loss, maybe adjust things, or what we call the delta yield trials, where you do a zero end strip and an end rich strip, and then kind of estimate based on a, a tool we've got, again, at gocorn.net, developed by Ken Javik at the University of Guelph, to get an estimate of that. So I think playing around with some on-farm end rates is maybe some stuff that certainly has been a lot of talk about and some work going on uh, there as well. So. What is the top or one of the top questions that growers ask you in a given year? I think probably the number one question I've had over the last couple of seasons has really been a lot around strip-till fertility. So 
general management, you know, timing and, you know, do you need to start a fertilizer in a plant or that sort of thing. But probably the biggest one has been around safe rates in strip. So really there's no guidelines for safe fertilizer rates in strips for strip till. So trying to uh, come up with some kind of guidance on that is something I really like to do. Because, yeah, I would, I would say that's probably the number one question that I've had over the last two or three or four years. At Ontario Crop Diagnostic Days last year, you and Colin LG were presenting on a fertilizer trial. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. So actually, it kind of segues into the last question, trying to look at state rates for strip-till. So we're working on a project with the University of Guelph, with John Lozon trying to look at safe rates in strip till. So one challenge with coming up with safe rates is placements in the strip. So, you know, we have safe rates with two by two banding on the corn planter, but generally speaking, if your things are set up and you're getting the right depth, I mean, a two by two band is a two by two band, relatively speaking. The issue with strip till is, you know, there's so many different placements. Some growers are putting it deeper down with a shank or some are doing it shallower with the shank. Some are mixing it around in that strip, whether it's around a shank or with a culture machine. So we've actually come up with a custom unit that was custom built for us by MK Martin in Elmira. And they built four different row units to kind of compare the different placement strategies. And at the same time, trying to look at some different blends. So, you know, in the springtime, looking at urea versus a P and K blend versus triple 19. So we're putting N, P and K down at similar amounts as well. And then just trying to see what rates can you get away with with those different placements to try to again, provide some guidance for safe rates in strip till. I know last year was a dry year and that, if I remember correctly, pretty significantly affected the trial. What did you see? What did you hope to see? How did the dryness affect it? Yeah, so we do rate responses. So we go from like a zero rate up until, you know, rates that we think most growers probably wouldn't apply to kind of cover our basis. And yeah, I thought, you know, dry spring, man, perfect conditions to, to test this kind of project, like perfect test conditions. But I was surprised at some of our locations, you know, visually and from stand counts, like population loss and that sort of thing, you know, with some of the treatments, I thought for sure we would have smoked a whole bunch of the corn really didn't have the impact I thought it would. And then at some other trials, again, where things were dry, uh, a lot more severe impacts and, you know, we did see reduction. So it would have been nice if things were more consistent across locations, but certainly there were some locations that were, were hit much harder than others. So Probably not surprisingly, I think it depends a lot on the environment and, you know, rainfall after strip tilling and planting and that sort of thing. But yeah, certainly some locations got away with things that I wouldn't have guessed we would have gotten away with. At other locations, certainly we had injuries show up and it was quite obvious. So, And do you intend to continue the trial this year? Yeah, so the first year was kind of the initial year. We are applying the funding to try to continue it on. We'd like to get a couple more years of data before we'd have any, you know, good recommendations or guidance out of it. So we're, we're just working on that process of trying to secure that funding to continue things on. And given that it's the first year of a project, I imagine you don't want to say anything with any definitive strength behind it, but preliminary results, anything you can say at this point? Yeah, it's, it's tough right now. Again, I think one of the biggest learnings, well, I think we maybe know this going into things, but how environment specific it was. Like at some locations, getting away with things that I, I wouldn't have guessed we could have gotten away with. And then at other locations, you know, certainly injury that showed up especially where we didn't get any rain right after strip tilling in several weeks or maybe a, you know, a month and a half after strip tilling and planting. So, so yeah, depended a lot on the environment. Thanks for tuning in to Inputs, the podcast by Top Crop Manager. To hear more great research and perspectives from industry experts, visit topcropmanager.com slash podcasts.
or catch up on past episodes wherever you listen to podcasts.